You know, when we first moved here, one of the things that was just going on in my mind is this. I don't know if you guys have realized this, but Baltimore is divided. Baltimore is racially divided, certainly economically divided. And I thought, you know, if the gospel of Jesus Christ truly unites us with God, then the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ unites us with each other. And I think we need to start a church and build a church and grow a church that reflects that. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you to Jesus for his uniting, reconciling work in our midst. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and look at it. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22, and I'm going to read through verse 37. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if the Spirit of God, it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then, indeed, he may plunder his goods. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning. God, we do ask that you would speak to us today. Encourage the weak. Strengthen us. Convict us where we are hard. Lead us to the face of Jesus. Let us experience Him. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, as I said, this text is not really about the unforgivable sin. I mean, that's part of it, and we're going to deal with that. But at the end of the day, what this text is really about is not the unforgivable sin, but about the undeniable Savior. We see here this undeniable Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. 
And what it says about him is that all sins, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Now we tend to get hung up on the next line. This bit about the unpardonable sin. And again, we're going to deal with that. But let's not get hung up on that one line right there and forget this huge claim. Every sin and blasphemy, verse 31, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. This is about an undeniable Savior, Jesus Christ. That's really what we're looking at, and that is who this text shines upon. Now, as I was studying for this message, I sent out uh, a couple of emails and, and started talking with some people and asking some people to read it and give me some thoughts. And I was shocked at how many uh, emails and conversations and text messages that I received from people who said, there has been a time in my life where I was afraid I committed the unforgivable sin. One woman, she, she told me that she went through a terrible period, about six months, where she was just living in constant fear that she had committed the unforgivable sin. And I cannot be forgiven. Another told me that she currently struggles with that. She asks this question, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And I'm afraid I've done that. And I wonder if I have committed the unforgivable sin. And honestly, just this Friday, this last Friday, I was randomly talking to a guy about spiritual things. He didn't even know I'm preaching on this text this Sunday. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm afraid I committed the unforgivable sin. I'm like, really? Let's talk about that. And I gave him all this knowledge, and I didn't even tell him I was just studying it. I just, like, unloaded on him, right? <laughs> No, I told him I was studying. Getting ready for this. Getting ready for this message. Uh, but he's, he's living in fear. Uh, question, his question, uh, am I too far gone? Have I blasphemed? I've known the gospel. I've, I've experienced, I, I know the truth and I'm living in sin. Have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Am I too far gone? Am I unredeemable? Can God no longer love me? Am I beyond his ability to forgive? So as we address that, we've got to address that question. Have you committed the unforgivable sin? What is the unforgivable sin? What does it mean as it says in verse 31 and verse 32, whoever blasphemes or whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven? What does that mean? Well, in order to answer the question of what the unforgivable sin is, what it means, and then to get to the application as to whether or not you've committed the unforgivable sin, we need to take a couple steps backward. And I want to address this text under two different headings. The first one is this, Holy Spirit Revelation. Everybody say, Holy Spirit Revelation. And then secondly, Holy Spirit Revulsion. Everybody say the word revulsion. No, say it like, like this, revulsion. Thank you. Or repulsion. We could say that one. Repulsion. All right, let's bust out the thesaurus. What other R's could we throw in here? Holy Spirit revelation. <laughs> Holy Spirit revulsion. And the Holy Spirit repentance. No, I'm just, I might throw that in on the end just for you, Tony. All right, that's a good R right there. I like it. Man, I, 
That's a good one. All right. Holy Spirit revelation. Let's go there first. Let's talk about what it is that the Holy Spirit reveals. Now, when I was in college, I used to go to a lot of concerts, like big concerts. Um, and I haven't been to one since. So it's been about, uh, what, 13, going on 14 years? Wow, I'm getting old. So uh, I remember, like, way back in the olden days, when I used to go to concerts, and I don't know if they still do this, these big performers, but the stage would be all dark, right? The lights are off, and the music begins. And you sort of, you know that it's your favorite performer's song. You recognize the tune, and you sort of get excited because it's about to begin. And you know, the intro, it goes on like an exceptionally long uh, time. Like it's serious, like 10 minutes, they're playing the same chord over and over and over. And you're like, all right, I'm about to leave if she doesn't come out soon, right? And then a figure walks center stage and it's dark and you can just barely make out that there's this person, but kind of the body shape and just sort of the, the hair and you, 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 you believe that it's, it's her. It's your favorite performer. She's on the stage, and there she is. You've never seen her before, and you're about to see her with your own eyes. And then the moment comes, and the music swells, and a single spotlight turns on and showers this performer in, in perfect light. And there her full identity is revealed, and you, you see her. Well, that's kind of an analogy as to what's going on in the text. The full identity of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew is being revealed. The full identity of Christ is being revealed. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? When we talk about what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, let's ask this question. What is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to Christianity, one thing that you should know is that Christians believe that God is one God, yet three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Son willingly comes into this world to redeem, to live, to die. What does the Holy Spirit do in this work of redemption? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit, as we see throughout the pages of the Scripture, the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is to lift Him up and to show us who Christ is. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Holy Spirit has become quite controversial in Christian circles. Have you ever, like, been to a restaurant with somebody who, uh, instead of looking at the entrees, they're just looking at the side items? They're just trying to figure out what sides they want. They're staring at the sides, and they know that they want green beans, and they know that they want some cornbread or some mashed potatoes, right? We know what sides we want, and then the waiter comes. They say, what entree do you want? Oh, uh, what? Entree? Oh, I didn't even see those. This is often the way we treat the Holy Spirit. We focus on the side items and we forget the entree, the big picture. I mean, the Holy Spirit has, there are some wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does. He grows churches. He starts church planting movements. 
He grows individuals. He convicts us of sin. He speaks to us today through his word. There are what's called gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, gifts to equip and edify the body. Today there is talk of various manifestations of the Holy Spirit, miracles. And then there's debates and questions around that. Is this truly the work of the Holy Spirit? Then there are those who accuse others of not being spirit-filled, like my boss when I was in college. He used to tell me that I'm not a spirit-filled Christian. You're a Christian, but you're not a spirit-filled Christian. I would tell him, like, what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean, but what does that mean to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit? Um, but then we would flip that around and, and then uh, just simply accuse Others of, uh, of just focusing too much on the Holy Spirit. We, we shouldn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that's a scary thing. Let's just leave the Holy Spirit in a box somewhere, right? Let's not talk about the Holy Spirit. We, we get so focused on this little side menu, and we forget the big picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing. So what is, let me ask you the question again, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, what's going on here in the Gospel of Matthew? What's going on is that the divine Savior and Lord is being revealed. The Holy Spirit is shining a bright spotlight on Jesus Christ and showing that He is indeed the divine Lord and Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit is revealing to the people of that day and even to the Pharisees and then to us in this day that Jesus Christ is indeed Savior and Lord. We see here in verse, in verse 32 this, this, this statement that whoever speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, what's Jesus getting at there? Son of Man. Son of Man is a reference Jesus uses for himself. Son of Man is the reference that means that Jesus Christ is fully what? Fully divine or fully human? Human, thank you. Son of Man is a reference that tells us that Jesus Christ is fully human. Now, Jesus Christ is here referencing back to John the Baptist uh, a couple chapters before as John the Baptist, looking at Jesus' humanity, questions him and doubts him and wonders, are you truly the Son of God? Are, are you truly the coming one? Or should we wait for another? Does anybody remember Jesus' response to John the Baptist? Pop quiz here. Anybody? What was his response? Thank you, you guys. Amazing. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Like, there are these signs that I am more than just human. Yes, fully human, but there are signs that Jesus is indeed the coming one. He is the divine Son of God. He is the Lord and Savior. And so John then hears and receives these signs and believes because of the signs. And then as we go on, what we see in chapter 11 is that what's happening in this context is that the, 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 the identity of Jesus Christ is being revealed. This is where Jesus says, if you remember last week, I thank you for hiding this from some and revealing it to the little children. 
I thank you, God, that you are revealing this to those whom you have chosen to reveal this. Now, it's not explicit, but it is implicit. We know from the Scriptures, who is it that does the revealing work of Jesus Christ? Which person of the Godhead? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is stepping into play. The Holy Spirit is the one who is revealing the divine Savior and Lord nature of Jesus Christ. Check this out. We don't need the Holy Spirit to know that Jesus is completely human. You can see that with just the naked eye. But you need the Holy Spirit to know that Jesus Christ is indeed the divine Lord and Savior. I'm about surfing up here. What is going on with this? Let me just scoot this up so I don't fall. Um, We need the Holy Spirit to see that Jesus Christ is indeed the divine Lord and Savior. So what's going on in this text is the Holy Spirit is shining this bright spotlight on Jesus. And so let's get into the text. In verse 23, we see that that there's this man who is demon-possessed. He's got a demon. He's blind. And he's mute as a result. And he's brought to Jesus. And what does Jesus do in verse 23? He heals this man. The demon comes out. And the man is no longer blind. He sees, and he's no longer mute. What's going on here? The Holy Spirit is lifting him up. The Holy Spirit is showing who Jesus is. Listen, there has never been a blind man in all of the Old Testament who could see. I mean, this is, these are miracles like none other. Only God in the flesh would have the power to do something like this. You see, what the Holy Spirit's doing is he's showing us Jesus is more than just a man. But he is God. He is the the divine Savior and Lord of all people. And then Jesus himself explains what's going on in verse 29. He uses this analogy. Now before we get into his analogy, just imagine for a moment that you're watching an action flick. And In the movie, there is this father whose child is abducted. And the child is taken away by this strong man and locked in the basement. That's a good plot for an action movie, right? All right, father, just picture somebody like me. All right, here we go. (laughs) Father finds out where the man lives seeks him down. And here's the climax of the story. The father kicks in the door, and there is the strong man. This is the climax. What's going to happen? Oh, you know what's going to happen. When I kick down the door and one of my kids is in the basement. You know exactly what's going to happen. What's going to happen is the father grabs and binds the strong man and then goes down to the basement and plunders the strong man's goods. Just steals them, rips them right out of the house, and says, these belong to me. Look at Jesus' analogy as to what's going on. As this man is is healed from this demon, and he's healed, he can now see, and he's no longer mute. Jesus says, verse 29, how can someone enter a strong man's house 
and plunder his good, uh, goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may indeed plunder his house. Listen, we are the child trapped in the basement. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the King, the champion, who has come into the house and kicked down the door and, come, uh, and, and bound the strong man and now plundered the strong man's goods, which is us. Received us and taken us. What's happening with this exorcism? What's happening as this man can now see and, and the, 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 he can speak these healings? These are signs for us, don't you see? These are Holy Spirit-given signs that Jesus is the strong man, that Jesus is the champion, that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is indeed God of all. As this old creed put it, which we read this morning, He is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. Or verse, I'm sorry, verse, verse 28. You say it is by the Spirit of God, or if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us who Jesus is is his nature and his identity and his work and he is the champion he is the savior he is the protector first heading holy spirit revelation second heading holy spirit what revulsion or repulsion whatever you'd like make up your own points today Holy Spirit revulsion. Let's use my same spotlight analogy, but let's change it up a little bit. Imagine you're living in a village, and in this village there is no light. And as a result of the darkness in this village, it's, everyone is just kind of like spiraled into wicked acts, evil deeds, rape, murder, theft. It's rampant. And in this village, there is actually this religious establishment, and they're called the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones who, who kind of keep things together. The Pharisees are the ones who maintain the rules. The Pharisees are the ones who try to seek some order in the place. Yeah, check it out. The Pharisees love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. While their external actions are good, their hearts are desperately wicked. They do not kill with their hands, but they murder in their hearts as they hate. Well, the Pharisees, they, they love the fact that it's dark because nobody can see who they really are. 
Well, the moment comes and there the figure walks onto the center stage and, and you believe that it's the hero. You believe that it's the Lord who has come to restore light. The one who is going, going to restore justice and peace and bring unity. You kind of see the figure and you can make him out and you hope that it's him. And you begin to get excited as the music starts to play. And it sounds like his song. I think the time is, is coming and my microphone keeps falling off. And then the moment comes and the spotlight turns on. And he is showered in, in perfect light. His identity is now fully revealed, but the Pharisees, remember, hate the light. And they immediately pick up rocks and branches and, and whatever object they can find, they begin chucking it at the spotlight to destroy the light. And they say, don't look at the light. The light is evil. The light is wicked. The light is bad. You see the picture of what's going on here? What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? To say it's not it. To attribute, look what they do. Look what they do. Here, are the, here comes the Pharisees. So Jesus heals. The man is speaking. He's seeing. And the Pharisees again attribute this work in verse 24 to the devil. This is the second time they've done it. You might remember a couple chapters ago. For the first time, the, 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 the Pharisees attribute what Jesus is doing to Beelzebub, the prince of demons, Satan, the devil. And in between that time and this time, the Pharisees have now begun to plot together ways to destroy Jesus. And so as we see these Pharisees, friends, these are a couple guys that are dead set on killing Jesus, on plotting to destroy Him, for they hate Him. And as, Je as Jesus heals, as the Holy Spirit shines this light on Christ, they say, don't look at the light. Turn the light out. The light is evil. The light is wicked. They, they attribute to what he's, what he's doing, they attribute this to the devil. It's not by the Holy Spirit of God that he does these things, but it's by Beelzebub. Now, I love Jesus' response. Jesus responds to them in his, in his wonder. I love Jesus. <laughs> I just love the way that he dismantles the Pharisees, right? Every time we've been seeing this with all of these various responses to Jesus, he just continues to dismantle. So in verse 25, Jesus uses this logic. He says, Every kingdom that is divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Jesus is saying, he's using logic. He's saying, all right, so let's just assume for a moment I'm doing this by the devil. All right? So the devil put a demon in this, in this man to destroy this man's life. And then the devil is also using me to get the demon out of the man. Jesus is saying, that don't make any sense. Yeah, a kingdom divided against it. This is what we call civil war. The devil isn't in civil war right now. The devil's kingdom is not divided. The devil, the various demons, the, the devil himself is not working against his own actions. Jesus is just pointing out the, 
the, the, the, the fact that this, this argument is dumb. This is a stupid idea you guys came up with. Jesus is basically saying, this is the best you could do? <laughs> Why is it that the Pharisees are reaching so far? I mean, this is dumb. The light shines, and they point at the light, and they say, don't look at the light. The light's wicked. The light's evil. This is dumb. That's what Jesus is saying. Why is it that the Pharisees would make such a stupid accusation? Here's the answer. Because you've got to be blind and dumb in order to not understand the identity of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit shines upon him. And I don't mean that in some, some goofy, joking, I'm making fun of people that are not Christians way. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that those who encounter Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit lifts him up and as they, they come face to face with him, in the context of the gathered people of God, in the context of the Holy Spirit confirming that He is indeed the Son of God, and they refuse Him still, they are spiritually blind and spiritually dumb, meaning mute. They've got nothing to say. They've got nothing to share. This is what we see with the Pharisees here. They are killing, the destroying, not the Holy Spirit, but the work that the Holy Spirit very well could have done in their life. Imagine uh, someone is in bondage, and a messenger comes to this man to tell the man that, um, that you're free. To tell the man that someone has come along and they've paid your ransom and you're free to go. And as the messenger comes, the one in bondage pulls out a gun and kills the messenger. Let me ask you this. How is he ever going to be freed from bondage? When we cast stones at the very spotlight that is revealing the identity of Jesus Christ. Are you beginning to see what the unpardonable sin is? I mean, what is then the, this, this unforgivable sin, what we're talking about is a blind man putting on a blindfold. <laughs> we're talking about someone just completely sealing themselves up and saying, I, yeah, I, 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 I've, I've experienced it. I've heard the gospel. I've experienced the body of Christ. I, I'm, I'm coming face to face, and I, I, I've even seen the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm willingly, I'm, I'm knowingly, I, I'm uh, intentionally rejecting what the Holy Spirit is showing me. And I'm attributing that work to that of the devil. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says that they, they knew God. They knew Him. Yet they did not glorify Him. And then God gives them over to futile thinking and to a darkened heart. John chapter 12 says that there are those who have so rejected Christ that God has blinded their eyes, meaning He has 
there's a blindfold that has been placed on the blind. Now, as we look at verse 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus is saying is, by rejecting Pharisees, that what, what's being revealed in front of your face, by rejecting this, you are actually standing in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. You are standing in direct opposition to God's kingdom as it advances. Look at verse 31 and 32. Let's, now, with all of that said, let's look, at the, let's look at the verses. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the, the, the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, and whoever speaks a word against the Spirit, Son of Man will be forgiven. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Does it start to make sense now? Why is it that it's unforgivable? Well, let's, let's ask you a couple questions here that need to be asked. First, have I committed this, the, the unforgivable sin? Is it possible that you have committed the unpardonable sin? Well, let's just think about that for a moment, okay? Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 also reference a sin that hardens one's heart. Romans 1, I think, clearly references that there is this hardening, this darkening of a heart. Who is that referring to? It's referring to those specifically in, in Hebrews, say, those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They've, they've been in the context of the gathering. They know the gospel 100%. They've, they've experienced even a sense of the movement of God's, God's Holy Spirit. Now, not that they are regenerate, but they, they've benefited from other Christians. They know the Scripture. They know what the Holy Spirit is doing, yet they choose their sin over Jesus Christ, Romans 1. They prefer their own self over Jesus Christ, and they give themselves completely to Jesus Christ, and there is then a hardening of their heart. Meaning, when you deny Jesus Christ is the divine Lord and Savior, that is unforgivable. You have denied your only hope. It's unforgivable in that sense. Not because there isn't enough blood. Not because Jesus' work on the cross is not good enough to forgive all sins. Not because God is a mean God, but just simply because you have denied that Jesus Christ is the divine Savior. You've denied your one and only hope. Dr. Heinemann sent me an email with some thoughts, and he, he gave me an analogy for this. He said, uh, uh, as a doctor, he said, it's sort of like someone who's, uh, who's sick, they have a disease, but they attribute their sickness to some, some, some issue of health. They, they think that they're fine. For instance, maybe like an, an obese man, I think he said, an obese man who... Uh, the doctor says, look, you're going to have a heart attack if you don't get this together. And, and the man says, ah, it's just a result of healthy eating, good eating. Denying that there's an issue. Denying that there's a problem. And the doctor says, I can't help you. 
This is essentially what's going on in this text. You deny what the Holy Spirit is revealing and God is saying, I can't help you there. So have I committed the unforgivable sin? Uh, I was asked that question this Friday by this young man. Have I committed the unforgivable sin? My response was, absolutely not. You know why? You know how I know that? It's because you're concerned. (laughs) That's why. It's because you're concerned. If you're afraid that you might have committed the unforgivable sin, take heart, my friend. You haven't. Or you wouldn't care. Don't you see? You wouldn't care about Jesus Christ. Who has? Well, only perfect 2020 hindsight would let us know who has. I can't tell you that. But what I do know is this, is that those who have committed the unforgivable sin, their heart is hard, uh, their heart is hard as stone. They do not care. They are not concerned. And they have fully, 100% rejected Jesus Christ as their only hope. So, second question then, so how do we respond? Recognizing that all of Scripture is written to edify Christians. It's written to edify the elect. All of Scripture is written to to, uh, convict the sinner. It's written to encourage the saints. It's written to strengthen the weak. It's written to wake up the sleepy. So how do we, we then respond to this? As we recognize that this passage actually isn't written to those who've committed the unpardonable sin. It's written to us. So what then should be our response? Well, Jesus himself gives us some application in verses 33 through 37, and let's quickly look at it. Jesus says either make the tree good or make it bad. Good tree produces good fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. He addresses in verse 34 the Pharisees as he calls them, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? Meaning the, uh, out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks, their heart is cold, and their words are reflecting it. Then he says in verse 35, the good person out of his good brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What is an application for us? Here it is. Watch your words, for in them you see your heart. Now we recognize the fact that there are such things as hypocrites. People who say things and it doesn't really reflect their heart and they're just making things up. And we also understand the fact that there aren't like magic words that save you. If you just say this formula, then all of a sudden, bada boom, bada bang, and you're a Christian, right? But what is Jesus saying? Jesus is giving us a general truth. What he's saying is this, is you can often, you can watch your words and you know your heart. You can watch somebody's words and you can know their heart. If your words are vile and filled with hate, and anger, and malice, and gossip. Friends, that tells you something about your heart. It's no coincidence that the Bible says, confess your sin. Confess it with your mouth. And he is faithful and just to forgive you. What does it mean? It means that when you confess your sin, it says something about your heart. Your heart is soft and convicted. It's no coincidence that the Bible says, confess the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that there are magic words to get saved. But what it means is that by your confession, by the words that you speak, it says something about what God then is doing with your heart. Friends, for those of you that are hearing this truth, 
And the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to see Christ. Don't deny the work of the Holy Spirit and cry out and confess, He is Lord. He is God. He is the divine Savior. He is my only hope. He is all that I have. Confess Him. And let that reflect on your heart. And you say, but as I examine my, my words, my words show me that my heart is still corrupt. I still have sin in my heart. I still have a, a coldness to my heart. And it's evidenced by the words that you speak. And friends, I would say this to you who are not Christians and you that are Christians. What you need is a new heart. What you need is a heart that is continually being made new. Cry out to Him. Give me a new heart, and I guarantee you He will hear your prayer, and He will answer your prayer from heaven, and you will receive a heart that is soft. Those Christians among us who have grown cold, God will break your heart. He'll break it up, and He'll soften it for you so He can do some new work in your life. And you'll just see the evidence of that in your words. Let me just give you a, a, one final point here just to sum all of this up as we go from this place. Since the Holy Spirit is revealing that Jesus is the divine Lord and Savior, therefore, let us worship the Holy Spirit. Let us worship the Holy Spirit. You know, the Father is due our worship. He is God of God. We were created to worship Him, and He has sent the Son. And you know, the Son is due our worship. God of very God. The Son who has lived the life that I should have lived. He died in my place on the cross. The punishment for my sin was placed on His own body on the tree. Risen from the dead. Justified. The guilt of my sin buried in the ground. The Son is due our worship. And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. Renews us. Regenerates us floods the sun with glorious light so that we might see Him in His full identity and know Him. And the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. Seal my heart and keep it for thy courts above. The Holy Spirit is due our worship. Let's thank God for our Savior, the one who has bound the strong man, the one who has plundered the goods of the enemy, the one whose kingdom has come, and the one whose kingdom is coming. Let's cling to him. Let's cherish him above all. Amen? Father, we thank you for being a good father, for sending us the Son. Christ, we thank you for living the life that we should have lived and dying in our place and sending us the Spirit so that we might know you and cherish you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing to us the full, <coughs> the full identity of the Son, 
for waking us up from the dead and for giving us new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.